0: I just had a flashback of Dale Teague sitting right here in the front. He would always say the prayer from the children's time, and I could hear him. It's hard not having him here today. But I like that moldy faith. I don't think I'll need another sermon. But listen to these somewhat difficult words from the Gospel According to Luke. Luke. Chapter 17, verses 5 through 10. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. The Lord replied, if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Who among you would say to your slave who has just come in from plowing or tending sheep in the field, Come here at once and take your place at the table. Would you not rather say to him, Prepare supper for me, put on your apron, and serve me while I eat and drink? Later you may eat and drink. Do you thank the slave for doing what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were ordered to do, say, We are worthless slaves. We have done only what we ought to have done. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Now, O God, may the words of my lips and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and redeemer. Amen. A mustard seed. That's it. Can you imagine Jesus standing before the apostles, pinching his thumb and forefinger together, saying, If you even had this much faith, you would be able to do anything you wish, just that much. A tiny mustard seed of faith will allow you to do the impossible move trees into the sea, or in Matthew's gospel, you can move mountains. I don't know anyone out here who wouldn't ask for more faith. This request from the disciples shouldn't be surprising. It's one I bet many of us ask for on a regular basis. If only I had more faith, I wouldn't do this or I would do this. We've come to expect this scolding from Jesus and we know that we deserve whatever he says. But what if we reframed it? What if we looked at it in a different way? What if we didn't immediately jump to this negative tone? What if Jesus isn't scolding them, shaking his head in disgust, but simply speaking gently with love and encouragement as one who would give up his life for his friends, for us? Kimberly Bracken Long writes: If we hear Jesus speak with the voice of love, we hear him telling the apostles that, in fact, they already have enough faith to do what is required of them. It helps if we turn to the first four ch- verses of this chapter in Luke, which is before our passage today. You see, Jesus is instructing them in sin, in repentance and forgiveness. He is calling them to be accountable to each other. So here's those first four verses. Occasions for sin, Jesus says, are bound to come, but woe to anyone through whom they come. It would be better for you if a millstone were hung around your neck and you were thrown into the sea than for you to cause one of these little ones to sin. Be on your guard If a brother or sister sins, you must rebuke the offender, and if there is repentance, you must forgive. And if the same person sins against you seven times a day and turns back to you seven times and says, I repent, you must forgive. And so hearing these first four verses, the disciple's response now makes more sense. Jesus, you're going to have to give us more faith. This Is difficult. How are we to forgive endlessly? Yet, this is what Jesus instructs, insisting that we are to offer grace again and again. We are never to turn away from each other. We are always to turn toward each other, offering grace from that bottomless well of forgiveness. Having that faith as small as a mustard steed will allow us to move forward, to make miraculous things happen, and even to forgive when we feel we cannot. The disciples at least realize that their faith is not their own, but a gift. One only God can give. Their human efforts and ours cannot grow our faith. According to the late theologian and priest Henry Nowen, when Jesus talks about faith, He means, first of all, to trust unreservedly that you are loved. He says, whenever Jesus says to people he has healed, your faith has saved you, he is saying that you have found new life because they have surrendered in complete trust to the love of God revealed in him. Jesus says they have faith already but in his typical Jesus fashion, he reframed their demand for more faith from the question how much faith is enough to do this to what is faith for? Faith is not about quantity, but about quality. There is no program to enhance their faith or ours. There's no step-by-step process or self-help books to help us. Again, Jesus says they already have faith. And so what he's doing is he's calling them to task to live it out. No more excuses. To have faith, yes, is to trust that God loves you. To respond in faith is to love those who need to be loved. Knowing that you are loved. Living with that knowledge that nothing can separate you from God that your struggles and your sins do not define you, well, that is simply powerful. But this next part of Scripture isn't so easy to receive. Jesus' sayings about faith and mustard seeds are followed by this difficult parable called the parable of the worthless slave. It's a disturbing parable. Let's just name it. It's not an easy one. And so in verses seven through nine, we are addressed as if we are the masters, instructing our slaves to do as is expected of them without any thanks. We do not invite them after hard work to simply sit at the table and rest. No, they do as they're commanded, no matter how weary. Once they've worked, then they go and they cook the master dinner, and then they can receive the expected nourishment and rest they need. So remember that Jesus is trying to connect the truth of God through using their everyday culture and habits to stress His good, need, good news. In no way is Jesus condoning slavery. Our own history with slavery makes this scripture difficult to receive. Theologian Margaret Ernest Habib writes, Jesus uses the first century institution of slavery as an example for the relationship between God and the Christian believer. Jesus does not, and this is crucial, prescribe a social order of slave and master for all times and societies. Rather, he uses this example to state his point. The Christian attitude is one of dutiful service and willing obedience with God owing nothing to the believer. Yet we are the very same ones who receive God's gift of grace in Christ Jesus. Though we are owed nothing, God chooses, God chooses again and again to share of God's abundant life with us. And so if we have faith in the one who redeems us, then we have no excuses about how we live a life of faith based in mercy, love, and justice. We seek those things because it's what's expected of us. The time for excuses is over, Jesus says. Time to put our faith into action. We don't serve God for reward or thanks We serve because that's what we do as the people of faith. So these sayings, both of them, should make us, and they certainly did make the disciples sit up in shock and conviction. Scholar Francisco J. Garcia writes, Jesus outrageous and disproportionate example of how only a seemingly small amount of the right kind of faith Jesus is talking quality, not quantity, is needed to do incredible things. Speaks to the simple truths of a gospel faith. Faith is most powerfully expressed and tangibly felt when it is keyed into an action that draws awareness of the what he's what he's translating here, basileia to theo, as the kingdom, as the commonwealth of God that is among us and within us and imminent and breaking through our world right now. The kingdom is here now. We are participants in it. Our faith calls us to be co-creators with God, expecting that God will use our faith to do things we wouldn't otherwise be able to do by our human efforts alone, turning mustard seeds into fruitful trees, But let's be honest, the work of faith, it's not glamorous. Sometimes it's not even that noticeable, but yet it is needed. Christ's faith led him where? Christ's faith led him into the margins of society, to the very edges, to where the sick, the forgotten, the poor, and the scorned were simply left. So when we claim that our faith is not our own, but that it is Christ's faith, there we should go as well. That is where our faith turns into action, where the kingdom is beckoned by God and where Christ is already there, right there on the edges. Lutheran pastor David Luce writes, faith is heading out the door each day looking, looking, opportunities to be God's partner and co-worker in the world, caring for those in need, protecting the vulnerable, reaching out to the lonely, befriending the friendless, and just keeping the world going. It's not heroic, but it is essential. And so this is the kingdom building that our faith calls us to. This is our obligation as those that claim Christ as Lord. And so on World Communion Sunday as we prepare to come to this table as other people of faith do around the world again let us be reminded that it is not our own faith that brings us here it is not anything that is self-centered it is always Christ faith Christ is our host and Christ always beckons us come and so we come as guests to partake in this meal of grace this meal that gives us a taste of the in-breaking kingdom that God promises. We come and we eat and we leave nourished, nourished by God, ready to take that grace into a world that is longing and begging to know it. So friends, let us use our mustard seed faith together to bring about God's kingdom. Amen.
1: Let us pray. God of all creation, we come before you in deep gratitude and adoring praise with hearts lifted high and our voices full and joyful because these you deserve. You prepare a table for us, offering not just bread, not just the cup, but your very self so that we may be filled, forgiven, healed, blessed and made new again. Lord God, as we come to share the richness of your table, we cannot forget the rawness of the earth. We cannot take the bread and forget those who are hungry. Your world is one world, and we are stewards of its nourishment. Lord, put our prosperity at the service of the poor. We cannot take the cup and forget those who are thirsty. The ground and the rootless, the earth and its weary people cry out for justice. So, Lord, put our fullness at the service of the empty. We cannot celebrate the feast of your family and forget our divisions. We are one in spirit, but not in fact. History and hurt still dismember us. So, Lord, heal your church in every brokenness. As we offer our sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving, we celebrate Jesus, your son. Death could not bind him, for you raised him up in the spirit of holiness and exalted him as Lord of creation. Therefore, we proclaim our faith as signed and sealed in this sacrament. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Amen.
0: And so it was on the night that Christ was arrested that he sat at table with his friends, with the disciples, and he took bread, and after giving thanks and blessing it, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, given for you. Take and eat. Do this in remembrance of me.
1: In the same way, after the meal, Jesus took the cup. And after giving thanks, he poured it out and said, this cup is the new covenant, the new promise shed in my blood for the forgiveness of sin. Drink from it, all of you, and do this in remembrance of me. The Apostle Paul tells us that every time we eat this bread, every time we drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's saving death until he comes. Friends, these are the gifts of God for the people of God.